day when uh, that trumpet is actually going to sound. And for many, for most, I should say, it's going to be one of the most terrifying sounds. It will be the most terrifying sound that they will have ever heard. Because that is the sound of the one who is coming to judge both the living and the dead. Yet, for those of us who belong to the one who is worthy, it's going to be the most glorious sound we will have ever heard in all of the history of mankind. And of course, it's our hope at Summit Church that you actually do belong to the one who is worthy. And so because he is worthy, he is the wise one. He has all the answers for us that pertain to life and godliness. We're going to bow our knees to him right now. We're going to go to him and ask his blessing to be on the remainder of this service. Father, we do kneel before you, understanding that you are the worthy one. You are worthy because you came to this earth, Jesus Though being in the form of God, you emptied yourself, you came and you took on the flesh of mankind, you walked this earth, sin-free, growing in wisdom, understanding all the fullness and the necessity of the cross that you would eventually find yourself hanging on. Lord, we thank you and praise you for walking a sin-free life here, for giving yourself up sacrificing yourself to bring us forever into relationship with you and establishing us in your eternal kingdom. What amazing truths, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As we bow before you this morning, our knees bent, we humble ourselves before you. We know, Lord, you are the wise one, the one that speaks. Lord, I pray that the words that flow from my mouth today would not be clever, but that they would be clear, that your church would hear you speak, Lord, wherever the heart is today that is in this sanctuary, wherever the mind is today, I'm asking, Lord, that your word would penetrate each one of us and meet us where we are. Speak to us, comfort us, convict us, challenge us. And I pray that we would leave here more and more prepared to see you glorified through Summit Church and that every choice we make every thought we think every motive of every heart that leaves this room would ultimately glorify you and be for our good we pray this in Jesus name Amen Kids I understand you're staying with us today And um, I also understand that you have an opportunity right now to express wisdom. We're going to continue on. Well, we're wrapping up our study today in the book of um, Proverbs. And uh, so kids, here's what I understand. You're staying with us today. I see some leaving and maybe I'm wrong. So let's just say if you're some that choose to stay with us today, (laughs) that would be wisdom expressed Because what I understand is, if you grabbed the sheet when you came in, a coloring sheet, I hear if you color on that sheet and you stay within the lines, there is a sucker that's waiting for you when you leave the service. So wisdom would say, you stay inside the lines and you actually color the sheet and follow follow along with what's being said today. How's that sound? 
I see parents right now like, all right, I'm going to get a sheet. Just hold on. For themselves, not for their kids, right? Well, here we are. Um, Here we are. Jasper has spent the last three messages setting up for us the most magnificent importance of this book, 32 or 31 chapters of the Proverbs, um, some 900 Proverbs. I know, I know like if, if you were to count them out and lay them out, there are some 900-ish Proverbs, uh, but each verse can represent a proverb mostly, but some of them, some of them stick together like Proverbs um, 3, 5, 6, 7, and 8. They all stick together so you could count that as one proverb, but in large part, each verse represents one. So there's a, there, is a, there are 31 chapters, 900 some verses of wisdom that God intends for us to use to guide us and direct us throughout the course of our lives. And Jasper he did such a magnificent job of helping us see and understand. Some of the things we see in Proverbs, we, can't, we just can't fulfill. We can't measure up to those things. But one thing we know for sure, there is one who did and there is one who does, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. He is the one that in the flesh personifies wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. And for us to begin to even be able to receive what wisdom is, we have to accept that person, Jesus Christ, the man who came and walked this earth sin-free, understanding what he has saved us from, introducing us to what it really truly means to fear God. We can only fear God if we understand who the person of Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us on the cross. Saving us from everlasting and an eternal judgment. Wisdom wants to save us from eternal judgment, eternal damnation, separation from God himself. Wisdom wants to save us from that. But also, Jasper pointed out for us, in and through the day in and day out, every decision we make, every thought we think, moment by moment, life we live here on earth, We know there are consequences for foolish choices we make and there are consequences for wise choices we make. And wisdom, the person of Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, wants us to make choices that are wise, that ultimately glorify him. And by making those decisions, we learn this is the best way to do it because it honors God and it's good for me. Jasper took three weeks to reveal to us what it means to fear God and to understand what protection and salvation, how it comes through the person of Jesus Christ. So I just would like to share just a moment some of the things that really, truly, and completely amaze me about who Jesus Christ is. Okay, so Colossians chapter two tells us that this, this one who was God himself, is God himself, before he came in the flesh, he was in the form of God, Colossians chapter two says, But when he came and was born into the flesh here as a man, so God becomes man in the flesh as a baby, Colossians 2 says he completely empties himself, completely emptied himself, even of what he understood as God himself in heaven. He empties himself even of wisdom. And you're like, well, Todd, how do you know that he emptied himself of wisdom? This is one of the greatest mysteries. You know, there there are many mysteries in the Bible that we can't solve or, or, or we're not going to know until the day we stand before Christ himself. And this is one of them. When you read in Luke chapter two, 
Jesus as a young boy, he actually was found sitting in the temple listening to the teachers, asking them questions and listening to them. And they were amazed at his understanding, even at his ability to ask questions and understand and receive. And I see the young Jesus in that moment. I see him learning about the teachers of the law and what they believe to be true and right. So even as a young boy, you see Jesus figuring out who these people were that were leading the people of Israel, all right? So you read on in chapter two. You see Jesus, after his parents had, had, they had come in to town, they had left believing that Jesus was with them. They come back three days later to find Jesus sitting in the synagogue with the teachers again. And here's what the passage goes on to say, that he increased in wisdom. So God empties himself, Jesus, comes in the form of man. He sits and he listens and he learns. And he increases in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I wish, I wish the way I learned reflected more like Jesus. Yes, I believe Jesus learned through his experiences. Like, for example, let's say Mary never told him, don't touch the hot stove. I believe Jesus would have learned if he touched the hot stove, it burned him. Wisdom says, don't do that again. Now, as Jesus learned throughout the course of his life through experience, it was never, it was never a rejection of, of a direction that his parents would have given him. He never learned through defiance. He never learned through sinful behavior, through making wrong choices. He learned through experience. I wish I would simply learn through experience and not through defiance. Jesus, I believe most of all, learned as he listened and he learned and he sought the face of God the Father and listened to what he had to say to him. Jesus grew in wisdom and understanding. Jesus became wisdom, 1 Corinthians um, says, that the moment he stepped to the cross, he was complete in his wisdom. He became wisdom to us from God. He became righteous, he became sanctified, and he was sanctified and became our redeemer. It's amazing to me that Jesus himself would empty himself to the point and, and, and subject himself to learning just like you and I have. I have in my life, um, most recently, he's my great uncle, Gerald Winger. He has become so dear to me. You can see him here. This is a picture this past summer, where, well, past May, where Wendy and I got to go and visit him. I, I remember him as a child um, at, at family reunions. And I only remember him as Uncle Gerald over there. I was too busy running around whatever farm we had our, our, our uh, um, reunion on. wasn't paying any attention to him. But, but recently, um, Uncle Gerald has become such an important figure in my life as an adult. Because I learned that Uncle Gerald spent his entire life as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Wendy and I had a chance to sit down for four hours and listen to him and talk to him. And so I opened him, and you're going to hear this as we move on into the sermon, into the Proverbs. There is wisdom in listening to people that God brings into your life. There is wisdom 
and listening to them. And so I said, I said, Uncle Gerald, I know you're listening and what to and watching my sermons. And so Uncle Gerald, this is for you. He said, I said, I want you to give me critique into the way I preach. And this is what he said to me. He said, Todd, you have the happiest message known to all mankind forever and ever since the beginning of time until the time Christ returns, it will echo into eternity. This most magnificent message is the happiest message ever. And he said, you never smile when you preach. He said, you're too stoic. And I am by nature a stoic person, I suppose. And maybe that's why it's hard for me to get up sometimes and declare the message. But he said, you're too stoic. He said, smile. So I said, so I'm going to say, Uncle Gerald, here you go. And maybe I can do it without getting all choked up. But he is right. God himself, Jesus, he came, emptied himself, became full, fully wise, determined that he wanted to be in relationship with us, that he wanted us to be in relationship with God the Father. We are separated from him because of our sin. Jesus goes to the cross in wisdom, lays his life down for you and for me so that we could forever and ever and ever be in everlasting relationship with him because of and through his magnificent love and grace that he pours out for you and me. That is so, it, it, tell me, give me words that describe how incredible that is. They fall absolutely and abundantly short. I think that's why he says, you need to smile when you tell that story. Jesus crucified, raised from the dead, for you and, and for me, for this. We're headed into 1 Peter chapter, well, 1 Peter, starting on September 10th, and here's a snippet of how wonderful these words are by God through Peter to you and me. But, but you are. This is you. If you believe in the person of Jesus Christ, you are a chosen race. There is no longer Jew nor Greek. There's neither black or white. There is no race in Christ Jesus himself. He has determined this most magnificent and godly race. And he says, I have chosen you and I am making you. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He has determined the moment we believe in him, we become his. That you and I would proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once we were a bunch of nobodies. We were nobody. We were not a people. But now... Because of Christ, you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now because of Christ on the cross, we receive his mercy, his determined nature saying, I will not hold your sin against you. I've dealt with it at the cross. Jesus redeemed us and brought us into his everlasting kingdom. And so 
based on 1 Peter chapter 2. Here's what it says. Because he did all of this for us, and he's placed us in his kingdom, it is now, it should be our driving singular motivation to make sure we represent Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. We are the ones that reflect the light of Jesus unto a world that's watching on and to each other. So here's, here's what's at stake. Here's what's at stake. God, through Jesus, has established us in his kingdom. Yet we see the kingdom of the world over here. And wisdom says we should desire and want the things of this kingdom and this kingdom only, God's kingdom. Yet even after he establishes us in here, we still go after the things of the world, don't we? We still want to dabble in the things that are outside of the kingdom of God. And here's what happens. That profanes the name of Christ. When we declare Christ, it profanes his, name, profanes his name when he has given us such a magnificent place to live, and yet we choose to dabble with the things over here. What's at stake is the glory of God. What's at stake is first and foremost the glory of God. And the second thing that's at stake are the souls that are watching us. The souls that are watching There are people that right now stand condemned that need the person of Jesus Christ. They need to believe in him. If we declare Christ and we're like, this kingdom over here is so awesome and they see us doing nothing but dabbling in the world, we profane the name of Christ and we either are pointing people to Christ or away from Christ. Colossians 4 says that we are to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, letting your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so while Jesus Christ himself, the living word of God, which is represented in our Bible, In the beginning was the Word. This is our foundation. The Word was God. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus Christ is the fullness of the Word of God. The Word of God is the written expression of the wise one, Jesus Christ himself, and he has given it to us. And we we find nestled somewhere right in the middle this incredible book called the Proverbs. It's the listing of the Proverbs. Why should we listen to them? Here's why. Because Christ personifies wisdom. He is the exact representation of wisdom. He is the source of wisdom. And so since Christ personifies wisdom, we personify Christ when we make wise choices. When we make wise choices. And it begins with believing in Jesus. It begins with believing in him. Okay, so we need to get into this, all right? So we have these proverbs. Jasper, I don't know what he was thinking, but he took three messages, three, to preach one chapter. And I think it's like 33 proverbs, all right? And he's left me with one message and 30 chapters, which is like 882 verses to wrap up in one message. 
So here's my great desire that you leave it because we can't cover them all. We're going to cover some. Can't cover them all. But here's my great desire that you walk away from here hungry to dive into the Proverbs because the more time you spend in them, the more you want to know about them. The more you want to know about them, the more they change your life. The more they change your life, the more you want to be in them. And it becomes this most incredible experience of, God, I want to make wise decisions that are reflective of you for your glory and for the good of those that you have placed in my life. We either profane the name of Christ or we bring him glory. We either push people to Christ or we push them away from Christ. So we have a bunch of big questions to ask her, ask today. And so as, as we consider the Proverbs, how do I personify Christ? So if Christ personifies wisdom and it's my desire to reflect and represent Jesus Christ for me to personify him, how do I do that? And what do the Proverbs have to say, have to say about it? How do I personify Christ when tragedy and hardship strikes? The Proverbs answer that. How do I reflect Christ when my mouth gets me in trouble? Has your mouth ever gotten you into trouble? The Proverbs address this. Hey, how do I represent Christ when I am slandered or maligned, when someone has something very bad to say about me? Guess what? The Proverbs answer that. How do I respond to that in wisdom? How do I represent Christ when I'm being forced to lie or be deceitful? Guess what? The Proverbs have an answer for that. How about when someone brings you a juicy piece of gossip and it's just sitting in you and you want to do something with it? How do I know what to do with it in such a way that's going to honor God, bring glory to Christ, and be for the good of the one, let's say, that is saying the bad things about me. When someone brings you a juicy piece of gossip, gossip. How about when you are discontented? How do you glorify God? When you have a huge decision to make. And I know, I know some of you right now have monster decisions to make. And guess what? The book of wisdom has answers for that. How about when God says, I want you to go this way and not that way. And you're like, God, your way looks way scarier than that way, which is my way. Guess what? The Proverbs have an answer for that, has an answer for that. How about when God says, you know what? I know you want to go, but I'm asking you to stay right where you are. I'm asking you to stay in that relationship you don't want to be in. Guess what? God has an answer for that through the book of wisdom, his Proverbs. So here's what I did. There's some of the questions that just roll through my head. And, and guess what? That's not an exhaustive list. I know you know that. But, but, but when you want to reflect Christ, the book of Proverbs, the collection of Proverbs has answers. I pulled 60 plus people in our church. I said, tell me, what is your favorite proverb? So I'm asking you right now, what is your favorite proverb? What is the one that's been most impactful to you? I guarantee you, you might not know what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is, but when I say trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You may not have known that's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, but here's what you know. You know what that proverb is. 
Almost every one of the 60 plus that I polled in our church, which I would consider to be a very, uh, very, um, um, uh, it's a cross cut of our church. I believe it is very representative of our church. Most at least referred to it. And some would say, hey, listen, because I know everyone else is going to refer to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, because I know they are. I'm going to share some other ones with you that are really important, like this one. Okay, so here's the setup. Y'all know I'm a stoic person. Uncle Gerald, I don't smile very much, so it's really hard to tell when I'm joking. So I'm telling you right now, this one is a joke, okay? So one of the individuals said, and he was my son, married to Sammy. They're in Philadelphia right now at a wedding, so guess what? He's the example. Yeah, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 But also, this one has been tossed around my house quite a bit lately. Where is it? Oh, here it is. A continual dripping on a rainy day. A continual dripping on a rainy day. And a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. He was like, this has been a really big deal in my life. And so he said it in jest, and I responded right away. This is in a family message, and I responded right away. I was like, Sammy, do not look up the reference. Proverbs 27, don't look it up. And she, of course, had a very sweet and and humorous comeback. Um, But look, we're not gonna spend any time on that one. But here's what I would say. Husband, that has nothing to do with you. That has to do with your wife. You can't take that and say, listen. There's none of that. That's for your wife to read and say, oh my goodness. Am I a dripping faucet? Am I unrestrainable? And then for her to search her own heart. Okay, that's not for the husband to say, woman, you are a dripping faucet in my life and it's time for me to turn you off. That has nothing to do with the message of this proverb. But most everyone referred to Proverbs 3, 5, 6, 7, and 8, which says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways, all of them. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Verse 7 says, be not wise in your own eyes. That's hard for us to do, isn't it? Because we think we know. I know the best way. You don't need to straighten out my paths. I know the straight path. Wise in our own eyes. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Listen to him and turn away from evil, which is wisdom in your own, in your own eyes. Verse 8 says, if you do this, guess what? It's going to be healing to your bones. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. A dear lady in our church says this as she referred to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. If I trust in myself rather than trusting in the Lord, it leads inevitably, inevitably, she says, it leads to chaos and confusion. That's responding in her own understanding. If I respond in my own understanding, if I'm wise in my own eyes, Every decision I make, which is a decision made apart from the person of Jesus Christ with wisdom, it's a foolish decision. It leads to confusion and chaos. 
And you know what? In the moment, I bet sometimes we don't even see that until we're able to be down the road a little bit and we look back and we say, wow, I really messed that up, didn't I? These verses, she goes on to say, remind me to practice the fear of the Lord. He is sovereign. He knows everything. He knows my past. He knows my present. He knows what's coming. He knows what's best for me. So I must trust in him. He is sovereign to come humbly to the Lord and recognize he is in control of everything. Everything. Do you need an example of someone who perfectly trusted in the Lord? Like so, so consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you don't grow weary and lose heart when you're being called to trust the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Trust the Lord says, I'm going this way. Under, leaning on my own understanding says, I'm gonna go this way. Trust the Lord says, I'm going to remain established in his kingdom and where he has me. Leaning on my own understanding says, I'm gonna go over here and, and, and go after the temptations of the world and do it the way they say I should do it. You need a perfect example. Listen to this one. First Peter chapter two, it's coming, September 10th. Jesus committed no sin Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in turn. So when he was, when they were throwing horrible insults at him, the likes of which I guarantee you, you have never experienced. And even the sum total of all of them is you, what, what we experience, the reviling of mankind against us pales in comparison to what he had to endure. When he was reviled, what did he do? He did not revile in return. He kept his mouth quiet. When he suffered, he did not threaten. What does your suffering do to you? Man, I'll tell you what, when someone hurts me or hurts someone I love, the temptation for me is to go after them with a ball-peen hammer. That's what I want to do. What did Jesus do? When he suffered, he did not threaten. But this is what he did. He continued, even in the midst of all of the beatings and the shame and the humility and the embarrassment and the reviling, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus himself said, Lord, Father, please take this come cup from me, but yet not my will, yours be done. I don't want to do this, but yet I know you know what's best. He entrusted himself to God, the Father, knowing what is coming, knowing he must, he has a better plan for us and for you and me and for himself on the other side of the cross as he is being resurrected. Our perfect example is Jesus Christ himself, who entrusted himself in the face of horrible things, when he feared, Proverbs 29, 25, this is what he knew. The fear of man lays a snare. He's like, I am not going to, whether it is a, someone else laying a snare for me or whether it's me myself deter, throwing a snare out and stepping in it myself. He said, Proverbs, Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Look, there is an eternal judgment that you and I face that we escape because of Jesus himself. 
The eternal snare is to determine, I want to live over here. I don't want to live over here. And Jesus is our example of, I'm not going to fear man. I'm not going to step in the snare. I'm going to trust in the Lord and know, I'm going to trust in my father and know that is the perfect place of safety. You're like, but Todd, he got beaten. He was humiliated. He was brought to shame. He was insulted. He was threatened. I know. But Jesus, the one who is perfectly wise, decided, I'm going to listen to the Father. That is the safest eternal place for me to be. Yet, though I might take a beating now, I know this for all of eternity, I am safe because I'm listening to the Father. Reviled, Proverbs 10, 19, as they reviled him. When words are many, Proverbs 10 says, transgression is not lacking. Jesus kept his mouth shut, and as the result of keeping his mouth shut, he did not sin. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. There is wisdom in keeping our mouths shut when people have bad things to say about us. Jesus suffered, Proverbs 10, 8, or 18.10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. He knew his father was a place of strength for him to go. And so what did he do? The righteous runs into it and they are safe. He knew even in the hands of man, he was not afraid of mankind. He knew the fear of God the Father. He's like, I'm gonna trust in him. I'm gonna lean into him and I'm gonna trust and know that this is a safe place. And after suffering, after Jesus went through all of this, Proverbs 10, 19 says, when the tempest passes, when the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. There will be tempests come in and out of our lives. There will be people that will revile us and mistreat us. And I pray to God it's for the name of Jesus. It's because of Jesus that people would treat us this way. Many tempests are going to come into our lives. But the promise is this. The wicked, the ones that are doing the reviling, the ones that are doing the mistreating, they're going to pass away. But you, the righteous one, as you are established in Christ's kingdom, will be established forever. So let me ask you a question. What shatters your ability to trust in the Lord? It's, hey, look, for me, it's when I look and I do see the path that's been laid out for me. I don't like it. Hey, sometimes it starts out really peachy. I love it. I love this path. And then you realize this path isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. It's getting messier and uglier. The hills are higher. The valleys are lower. It's snowing harder. I'm on ice. What is it for you that shatters your ability to trust? A dear woman in our church says, Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and whoever captures souls is wise. Let me explain that one to you through her words. I feel like I've been praying a lot for wisdom a lot these days. And this proverb generally comes to mind. It is the one thing that I can use as a compass when seeking wisdom. Does this request that I'm making, does this action that I'm performing, does this word that I'm speaking, whatever it is, does it point other people to the person of Jesus Christ? The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. This individual understands my desire and goal for what Christ has done for me is to glorify him 
and that everything in my life, I want to express the righteousness of God through wisdom as I have the Holy Spirit to everyone that is watching me. Her desire is not for her personal protection, not that people wouldn't speak wrongly of her, not that the road would be peachy and keen. Her goal is everybody that sees me living my life sees the person of Jesus Christ in me because I am reflecting wise choices. Christ personifies wisdom. We must personify Christ, and we do this when we make wise choices. We are only through Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and I have like a hundred more. So we're going to roll, all right? We're going to roll through these. How do I personify Christ when tragedy and hardship strikes? So what's your current tragedy? What's your current hardship? Proverbs 30 and 5 says this, verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. Trust in the word of God. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Here's what a guy in our church says. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. He says, the older I get, the more I realize that I need to be grateful and thankful for the struggles that get sent my way when the straight path doesn't seem so straight, I suppose is what he's saying. The Lord just draws me through these things closer and closer to him as he uses them all in my life. I don't know how unbelievers get through it. The Lord is my shield, he is my rock, he is my anchor, he is my fortress. When you're facing tragedy, here's what he's saying. This is his word to us as he is using this proverb in his life. He's saying, look, trust in the Lord's word. He proves himself over and over to be true. Run to him and use him as your shield. He is the most marvelous hiding place for all of the hardship that you will face in the course of your life. When hardship strikes, surround yourself with those who will encourage you. Proverbs 12, 25 says this, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Anxiety, I know you know that one. Anxiety weighs a man down. But a good word makes him glad. I'll tell you what, Summit Church is the biggest deal to me. Because when you see Jasper up here, I know when I, I, I sermon, I, I interact with him almost every day of my life. He just steps up here, a few points in his Bible, and he just rolls. He is so comfortable. There's not an ounce of anxiety in his heart. When I step up here, it's like today. Last night, my, you know, I, I deal with this. When anxiety strikes me, my heart tells me, hey, you're anxious. My heart will beat four, five, six times, and then it skips one. It'll beat seven or eight times, it skips one. It'll be nine or 10 times, it skips one. And then I have to take a deep breath. I don't know where it comes from, but here's what I know. My head says, you trust in the Lord. I know his words prove to be true. I know he is the great sanctuary. He is the safe place. But guess what? My flesh is of this place over here, the world. This is where it's from. And it's broken and weak and nasty, and this is what my flesh wants. My head is over here saying, you know it's true. And so here's what I have to accept. When I have these anxious moments, when I step on the stage, I have to simply trust, Lord, my heart is flesh. When it does that, it's acting like the world. 
I just, if you decide in this moment to explode my heart, rip it in two, and I die on stage, you must have a grand plan for that. I don't know what it is, but here's, I know what's true. Here's my word to you and to me. When anxiousness strikes, surround yourself with people that are going to encourage you with words that get you through those moments of anxiety. Uncle Gerald is a great critique, but guess what? He delivers his critique with such incredible compassion and sensitivity, knowing I'm just a young guy preaching a message, listening to him who has been through it all. I love it when I look out at Summit Church and we, I feel like there were days where we could look out and see, you know, that person's ready to challenge me, that person's ready to challenge me, that person's ready to challenge me. I don't feel like that anymore. Summit Church is just one of the most encouraging places for me to be. And, and I'm like, really, if you want to evangelize the lost, you say, look, there is a safe place for you to experience all the hardships of life. It's, life. it's called Summit Church. It's because Summit Church at the pinnacle at the head of that church is Jesus Christ himself and they have a desire to please him and to glorify him. What shatters your ability to trust in him? It's when we, don't, it's when we doubt his word and that he is able to protect us. I need to do one more. I have like six more. So I need to do one more. Is that Okay. How do we personify Christ when we have a huge decision to make? So what's your current, current huge decision? Here's what Proverbs 19 says. When you have a big decision to make, you trust in the Lord's purpose and his plan. Proverbs 19:21 says, many are the plans in the mind of a man. We can plan ourselves to the death. But it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. His purpose will stand. Trust in the Lord's purpose. Trust in the Lord's plan. Proverbs 29, 21, 2 says, every way of a man's is right in his own eyes. Isn't it? Isn't it? We believe we know the best way, but it's the Lord that weighs the heart. The Lord knows the intentions of your heart. He knows why you have determined to go this way and not that way. And he knows whether that way is the right way. So he is measuring your heart. And he's saying, look, I want you to trust in me. Come my way, come my way. Look, here's a word. Don't go it alone. Seek wise counsel. Have someone, have someone that won't just listen to you, but that you will listen to. When you have a big decision to make, surround yourself with wise counsel, people you will listen to. We too often want to go our way. We want to do it this way. And so we want people to listen to us tell you why this is the best way. Don't do that. Have someone that you actually are willing to listen to, not simply willing to listen to you. Does that make sense? Because they need to speak into your life. Listen to Proverbs 12. A fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 19.20 says, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Don't isolate yourself. Proverbs 18 says, the one who isolates himself, he seeks his own desire. I'm not going to listen to wise counsel. Seeks his own desire. And then when wise counsel comes, the proverb goes on to say, he breaks out against all sound judgment. You could have a hundred wise counselors in front of you, but if you've come to a place where you've isolated yourself and you sought your own desire, you're not going to listen to a hundred wise counselors. You must surround yourself with them all the time. 
Just involve yourself in the life of the church. I can't imagine some of the massive life decisions we've had to make, I've had to make, and not made them without people surrounding me. Look, I have, there's so much more. It's my desire that this is giving you a hunger, a hunger to dig into the Proverbs. And right now you're like, Todd, can you print those off for me? Because I want to know what those Proverbs are that you referred to. And I'm going to say, no. I want you to spend your time in the word, digging into what the Proverbs have to say and how it will help you live a life of wisdom before man and for God. All right, let's close with this. Christ personified He personifies wisdom. We personify Christ when we make wise choices. Lord, it's crazy. I'm standing up here with a heart that's skipping beats and I would love to just keep going and going. The uh, the Proverbs are so amazing. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for these things, for your words of wisdom. Thank you, Jesus, for being the perfect perfect example of what it means to live a life of wisdom. Lord, may we be found glorifying you because of what you've done for us by making wise choices and declaring you to those who are watching and listening. Amen.